Welcome back to our continuing exploration of the Radical Christ on the Wounded Angel Network. Um, this week we continue to look at the second part of Jesus' life map. Remembering of course that um, the map is not the territory and although Jesus' life unfolded in a certain way, in a certain order, uh, we relate to that map um, simply from where we are. In other words, to orient ourselves, we go back to Jesus' life and we find the place that most corresponds with our experience. And so, as we look at the public ministry of Jesus, um, having finished the preparation, we're now in the stage of looking at the public ministry. Today we are going to talk about uh, miracles in the sense that Jesus' ministry is characterized um, by these miracles. Um, it might amaze you to discover that there actually is no word in the Bible, in the Greek New Testament, in the Gospels, um, there is no talk of miracles. <laughs> the word miracle has, has come to be what we refer to as a collection of activities that Jesus performed um, as he went about simply being Jesus. Um, so, if there's no word for miracle, what are the words? Well, there are three words that are used um, in the New Testament in Greek um, to describe the events that we now group together and called miracles. Um, the words are signs, wonders, and power. The Greek word for sign is simeon, a sign, something that signifies something, something that points to something. In these days of, of COVID-19, we could probably talk about it as a symptom. Um, the symptoms of COVID-19 are you get a sore throat and you have trouble breathing and you have a fever. In similar ways, a simeon is a sign. A sign of what? A sign of the presence of God. So what we call a miracle was Jesus just showing. It was symptomatic of Jesus manifesting the presence of God for everybody, not just in the temple anymore, remember. He's taken the kingdom back into the incarnation where it always was. God is a projection of our um, awareness of this massive thing called life. Um, and over time we've projected it outwards. Now it's coming back in and it's incarnating and we are realizing, realizing. And, and so when Jesus does works um, of, uh, that we call miracles, they are signs that show that the power of God, the presence of God, the presence of life is within everyone. So that's the sign, the simeon. The other word is wonder. Um, as, as, as Paul Simon sang in the intro, these are the days of miracles and wonder. And, and so it's that sense of, of wonder, the Greek word is teras, the, the word for awe, of wonder, of amazement, 
um, this is unheard of. How, did, how can this be um, that, that this person can so bring wholeness and integrity and healing through the presence and the love and the compassion and the presence of, 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 of life in him? Um, so there is wonder. Signs, Simeon, wonder, teros, and this word you will recognize, power, dunamis, dunamis, that's where we get the word dynamite from. Um, and so it's this manifestation of power, of activity, of the life force, what is called the force vital, that all cultures know. We point to to the force of life, the life force within us. It begins when, when we are conceived and we grow in our mother's womb. Then when we breathe our first breath and eventually that dunamis runs down when we breathe our last. Um, so, so those are the words, the signs, the wonders, the power. Simeon teras dunamis that we have grouped together and we call them the miracles of Jesus's public ministry. But what they're referring to is Jesus simply going about manifesting this new kind of life to people who are poor, people who are oppressed, people who are marginalized, people who are under the crushing Roman boot, all the, the people living in the margins. Um, uh, and we'll come to that later, the, the, the poor. The poor were referred to as the anawim or the ptochoi. Ptochoi, can you hear? Spit them out of your mouth. Um, we'll come to that now, now when we talk about Kenneth Copeland. But, but all the despised people, Jesus went to them and said, you know what? You've got a place. Oh, and here's a sign. Be healed. <laughs> Be whole. Discover the force of life, the force vital within you. Um, experience the wonder. <laughs> experience the power. Of being empowered to simply have dignity as a human being, no longer bowed down, you poor, despised, but you are a beloved uh, agapetos of God. So the, the miracles are simply Jesus going about being Jesus. And so when we talk about this group of miracles, um, and these miraculous works, these signs, the, the wonder, the power. We have to acknowledge that in all cultures, at all times, there have been these manifestations of, of activity, of healing. Um, from the earliest shaman who, who knew what herbs to to administer in certain conditions, who discovered what plants healed and what plants harmed. I often wonder when I eat mushrooms how many people ate the wrong mushrooms before we discovered what mushrooms we can eat. And then of course they were those who, who ate those, um, the magic mushrooms that went on the trips. <laughs> so all this discovery through a shamanistic kind of healing. And of course there are still those today in the church who would regard a miracle as having to have that shamanistic component to it. Um, I want you to have a look at this clip. It relates to the virus and it relates to the way a certain group and sector in the church is addressing it. It's a clip um, that has got quite a bit of airtime. Um, I'm going to ask you to watch Kenneth Copeland um, 
in this clip. COVID-19! COVID-19! I blow! On you. On you. You are destroyed forever. You are, you are destroyed, destroyed forever. forever. And you will never be back. And, and you will never, never be back. Now that is one approach. That is Kenneth Copeland's approach. And it may surprise you, I'm not going to uh, criticize or, or judge that approach. Because he has a very successful ministry. He is the richest pastor um, in America. His net worth is currently estimated at about 760 million US dollars. That's a serious amount of cash. So if you're measuring things in terms of material wealth and success is measured by that in your book, then Kenneth Copeland is successful. Um, however, that's the shamanistic approach that, that somebody will just and the virus will disappear and, and that's what some people's idea of the miraculous is. But then on the other hand, how is that any different or, or, or alternative to the shamanistic approach, the magical approach? How is the the work that is being done by the epidemiologists and the people developing vaccines and the people doing all the microbiology and the the pathology and the testing for the for the virus how is the work of of medicine not also miraculous does it have to be the shamanistic dramatic that we saw in the video clip or could it be as simple as finding the right injection finding the right finding the right vaccine to cure and to heal and let's not let's not get this thing lopsided the the pharmacological the pharmaceutical companies make a lot more money than Kenneth Copeland does um, th that is a, a multi-billion dollar industry so when we talk about miracles um, we can't just distinguish between shamanistic miracles and pharmacological or scientific miracles. Um, they're all just ways of healing. And, and the pharmacological medical model, the scientific model, is, also recognizes that there are unknown effects. So, so I have no doubt that Kenneth Copeland, through his approach, is able to heal certain kinds of people who, who sit under his ministry and who find themselves healed by exposure to that. It wouldn't work for me. My, my rational mind would be screaming like, no, <laughs> as I did when I saw that video. But by the same token, um, I, who tend to favor a scientific model, have to admit that when they do any clinical trials, like they will be doing trials of these vaccines that they're trying to fund for COVID-19, scientifically you have to take account of what's called the placebo effect. And so when they test a, a batch of a, a new medicine, like they will test these vaccines, they will do what is called a double-blind control. 
In other words, the people who receive the trial won't know if they're getting the actual vaccine or if they're just getting a placebo. In other words, something that has none of the active ingredient in it. And then part of the double blind control is the people who administer, the people who receive, the people who then measure are all separated from each other. And, and there's always in the statistical analysis of the trial an allowance made for the fact that people who receive the placebo who don't know if they're getting the real thing or the placebo some of the people who get the placebo are also healed <laughs> that's the power of these things and that is the the wonder of it remember science wonder power and the power is not just in the pull the power is not just in the pharmacology of it so so if we're going to look at these signs and wonders and powerful things that Jesus does, I think the distinction has to be not just simply between shamanistic, um, one could call ancient or some people would even call primitive approaches and then the modern scientific one, because that gets a bit fudged with placebos and double blind controls and things. I I've been really helped in preparing for this talk by the work of, of Marcus Borg and Dominic Crossan, both who were New Testament scholars. Marcus Borg has passed on. Um, and, and they distinguish these, what we call the miracles of Jesus, into two categories. The one is in this category we've been talking about of either the shamanistic or the pharmacological healing um, works of Jesus. And, and those are repeatable signs and wonders and acts of power, repeatable miracles, what we would call the healings and the exorcisms. Because Jesus going about his life was doing it in the context of um, Galilee, mainly um, Judea, um, Israel of that time, the first century. Um, where there was no medicine as we understand it um, and healing was very much in the realm of the shamanistic um, so Jesus was a healer Jesus was an exorcist and all the things that he did in that sense like um, helping the blind to see helping the lame to walk um, removing evil effects um, casting what was called casting our demons today might be called psychological healing um, those things are all still repeatable. The blind see now, they get, they get lens replacement therapy for cataracts. The lenses get taken out, new lenses get put in. Um, the blind see the lame walk in the world of orthopedics. Um, those are all repeatable signs and acts of power. No less miraculous to have a, a knee or a, a hip replacement or to get a new lens implant. Um, or to be radiated for cancer, no less miraculous than to have Jesus um, rub mud and put it on your eye and, 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 and that leads to healing. Remember the power of the mind, the power of the placebo. So, so on the one side are all these repeatable works of healing um, and exorcism, repeatable acts, signs, uh, wonder, power. But then there is another whole category of the miraculous which we might want to call the the the, the nature miracles um, and 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 here i think we're into a whole different category these are non-repeatable events i'm talking about situations that cannot be repeated 
um, scientifically. As much as I wish I could do this, uh, the miracle, the first miracle recorded in John's Gospel of Jesus turning water into wine. Oh God, how I wish that was repeatable. <laughs> um, I don't know if I should confess that I'm doing all sorts of experiments in turning apple juice into cider and turning grape juice into wine, but that involves yeast and all sorts of secret processes which I shouldn't really be recording here. And I think every home in South Africa where we are not allowed any alcohol, by the way, um, during lockdown, or not allowed to buy any alcohol, um, have all sorts of projects going on trying to, to create alcohol, but nobody is able or has been able to turn water into wine. Nobody's been able to walk on water as Jesus did. Um, no, no one has been able to, to calm a storm as he did. Um, no one has been able to get his disciple to walk on water as Jesus did. No, nobody's been able to raise the dead. I'm not talking about people who are in a coma who come back out of a locked-in coma. I'm talking about actually taking a dead body and bringing it back to life after four days as the story is told about the raising of Lazarus. These nature miracles that are unrepeatable, unlike the works of healing and exorcism that are have been repeated and are still being repeated, these nature miracles have to be seen in the light of being mythological and remember the definition of myth is something that is absolutely true although it might not have happened that way and so what 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 borg and crossen have really helped me with is to understand that these nature miracles are not really about the thing that they are describing. It's not about the water turning into wine. It's not about walking on the water. It's not about getting someone else to walk on the water. It's not about the calming of the storm. These are actually parables. And here's the kicker. Dominic Crossan points out that what Jesus did in his public ministry was he told parables about God. They were metaphors, they were allegories, they were parables about the nature of God. And, and, and for example, the classic and the most famous of Jesus' parable, the parable of the prodigal son. Um, father has two sons, one son says, give me all my property, goes away, wastes it, messes up his life, comes back humbled and humiliated and is received back with forgiveness. And Jesus begins all the parables by saying, the kingdom of God is like this. Now, if these nature miracles are not just repeatable, are, are, are not scientifically repeatable, then they tend to be in the nature of parables. And Dominic Crossan's point is, Jesus told parables about God, and then the church told parables about Jesus. So, so the story of Jesus walking on water, for example, and then calming the storm in that Sea of Galilee story that we're going to be focusing on in a minute, um, that is about pointing to Jesus's presence as a parable and an act and a sign of, of power and wisdom and, and wonder, but it's not about creating something that has to be repeated. To try and go and walk on water is just silly. One can't do that. So what does it mean? It means something bigger, something more powerful. And if one is prepared to then begin to dig 
into that and un and not look for it just as oh, an event, a wonderful event, he walked on water, no one else could do it, isn't that wonderful? But begin to say, what does this really mean? One begins to uncover layers of meaning that can be quite transforming. So, so let's take the story of Jesus walking on the water as I read it to you from the Gospel of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 14 from verse 22. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, and by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. We'll come back to this wind. And early in the morning he came walking towards them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, that would be one of these non-repeatable, non-scientifically repeatable nature miracles. What's interesting when we talk there about a strong wind that creates the waves, the, the Greek word that is used in that um, passage to describe the wind and the shaking is called is seismos. Can you see seismic? Earthquake, seismic event, earthquake, and when you have earthquake underwater, you have tsunami. Those are things we know now. So, so there's this tsunami. We're not saying that a tsunami happened on the Sea of Galilee. It's a small lake, but but suddenly we're in this in this realm of chaos, and and it's very interesting if you then begin to say if this is a parable not just an event or something Jesus did, but this is a story like the prodigal son that's pointing as a sign of something much bigger. We then go back to where these waters of chaos first appear. And, and they first appear in the really, really beginning of the Hebrew Scripture in the book of Genesis chapter 1 with the creation of of all that is, of, of what we have and see around us, of all of life, the story that is told in Genesis, which is actually a, a, a copy of the Babylonian uh, creation story, um, is the story of how God creates order out of chaos. The Spirit of God was hovering of the, over the face of the deep over the waters of chaos. And those waters of chaos, the sea, the Hebrew word for sea, is derived from the god of chaos in the Babylonian creation story called Marduk. And, and so Mayim 
comes from that word that the sea was for the Jew a chaotic, chaotic experience. That's why the Jews never became a seafaring nation. The Philistines were, were seafarers. They came on the sea. But the Jews living right on the Mediterranean never ever became seafarers because they were petrified petrified in the very being of these waters of chaos. So whenever there was a, looking for a symbol of chaos, they would talk about the sea and they talk about the water. And so here Jesus, his disciples are on a boat on those waters of chaos. Now, if we go back to Genesis, we have the waters of chaos and God speaks. The Spirit of God hovers over the water, speaks into the water and order comes, creation, land appears, creation comes. Moving along, the next time we have the waters of chaos is with the deluge and the flood. And this time Noah is able to get into a boat and he can sail on top of the ark. He can sail on top of the waters of chaos. He never masters them. 40 days and 40 nights he's able to sustain life in the boat. But the waters of chaos first have to subside and then life can continue. So there's the, the, the threat of the ocean, then there's the threat of flooding and this primal memory that the waters of chaos can overwhelm us. The waters of chaos can, can really come like a tsunami and destroy us, like, like, a, like an invisible tsunami of a virus that you can't even see and create so much chaos in your life, like financial ruin that can come at you, like, like a swarm of locusts and destroy you. Are you beginning to get the picture? The chaos is really what the story is about. And, and, and in, in, in the Jewish mind, when you spoke about waters and sea and wind and waves and seismos, you were talking about absolute chaos, the thing that they feared the most. And into the middle of this chaos, with this little boat being tossed around, just like the ark was tossed on top of the, of, of the waves for 40 days and 40 nights, in this chaotic situation, the seismos event, Jesus comes walking on the water and he invites one of his disciples out of the boat and says, come. And an ordinary man, an ordinary Peter, Peter the rock that should sink into water as rocks sink into water, is able to walk across the chaos as long as he keeps looking at Jesus. The moment he stops looking, he sinks. And Jesus grabs him and saves him and says, Why did you doubt? Why didn't you trust that you too can transcend the greatest chaos that life can throw at you? Call it a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Call it the waters of chaos. Call it a COVID-19 virus. Call it a threat of financial ruin. Call it what you will. If you are able to understand what life is really about, then you will know that there is a place that cannot, the storm cannot reach. There is a place where the waves will not overcome you. There is a place where you can be still and know that you are in God and God is in you. So, so we now begin to see these nature miracles as signs not of something that needs to be repeated in some mock um, fake um, situation these are not healings and exorcism these are parables pointing 
to something much bigger than just the natural events that they are describing. They point to the fact that if we understand the truth and the depth of who we really are and life that is within us, then we are able to transcend and to tread above the most seismic and scary and frightening of life's events, some of which we are actually living through right now. So, miracles, these are the days of miracles and wonder, and sometimes the miracles are just changes in our perception and the ability to bring ourselves to a place where in Jesus we can be calm and he, we can hear him saying, peace, be still, and the storm stops. The storm on the Sea of Galilee, but more importantly, the storm that is raging in our own minds, where all of this is happening anyway. It's all happening within us. The storms, the healings, the signs, the wonder, the power, it's all happening within our own being. And so I invite you to, to hear the words spoken to yourself as we look at this place on the map of Jesus' life. Peace, be still, and may the winds and the waves calm for us all in these days. Thank you very much for your attention. See you next time. These are the